Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. So um, I had a friend make me feel kind of bad for doing this, but you know, we're in this series, the You Asked For It series, and the whole series is built on the premise that you all submitted a bunch of questions back, I think, late August and asked us these questions. And what we've done with those is distilled them down into different themes and found different things, how to answer them. And those, that's been the sermon series. And so the heartbeat of the series is answering questions that maybe you don't feel like you have a space to ask. Sometimes I think it's easy for you to feel like Christianity or the church has moved on without you ever figuring out what this actually means. And so we've done that by and large. But then the last few weeks of the series, my friend made me feel bad. It's like, these aren't questions you asked at this point. And I'm just being really honest with you, all right? Like, I just, I prepared a message uh, to go one way this week, and I just felt on Tuesday morning that it was, it was supposed to go a different direction. And so these are questions that I'm answering. You didn't necessarily ask them, but, but I just, I feel like we're in a moment here um, with, with what's happening in the county with new restrictions in Colorado and, and just what's going on in this season that we're, I'm, are you not sick of the word just like this season we're in, like, you know, unprecedented times. I'm just sort of sick of that, but here we are still in it. And I just feel like we need a little bit of just recalibration. It's okay. I'm sure those lights will come back on in just a moment. Okay. You don't have to freak out. I just saw like 10 of your heads spin. Um, I just think we need like reoriented a little bit and just reminded of what this is here. What are we doing when we come to church? And so the question that I'm answering today, I don't know if anyone's asking it is uh, what are we here for? Like, what are we doing here? And what's the goal? What are we doing when we gather? What, what is the significance of coming together and gather? I, I heard a lot of like new normal talk early on in this pandemic. And, and I just, I go, no, I don't, I don't think that's ever going to be normal. I don't think it's ever going to be normal to be kind of walking past a normal person on the sidewalk and have them like dive into bushes to not get next to you. Like, I just don't think that's going to be, no- I don't think sporting events like this is going to be normal. I don't think churches with less people in them, chairs all spread out is going to be normal. And there's a reason for that, not just beyond my like opinion, there's, there's a biblical precedent to gather. And so I want to, I want to look at that with you all at the same time while making the statement that we are not the more faith-filled followers of Jesus this morning because we're in a church. Like we have, we have parts of our family that we know and that we love who haven't come back into the church yet. And, and we are not like more awesome than they are. Like, I think there's, a, there's reasons why you can take precautions. There's reasons why you can stay at home. Um, but what I want to consider this morning is what is, it, what is the biblical picture of the gathering look like? So I want to start maybe an interesting spot in Revelation chapter 19. And so if you'd open there with me, uh, Revelation 19, starting in verse 6. And what we're going to look at here is a picture of a day yet to come. And so as John's writing this down, he's seeing a picture of something that has not happened yet. And what, he's, what he writes down, he says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of a mighty, mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, our God the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And so there's this moment yet to come where all of heaven is going to kind of lose their mind as, as the, the story that's being told throughout history finally happens, where the church is united with Christ. 
That, that, that the lamb, Jesus, would be finally, uh, the, the marriage would sort of be consummated, so to speak, is literally what this is, where, where they come together for all of eternity and the people of God get to be with Jesus. And the tension, yeah, amen, Sharon, come on, glad you're excited. Here we go. So, for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. John's going to see a tension here that I think really does exist, that, that, Jesus has offered us his salvation freely. He, he has given to us this gift of salvation. And that is, that is these linens that we talk about here in the next verse, that it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And that linen is this picture that's woven really throughout scripture that, that on our own merits, on our own self-righteous uh, effort, we're never gonna be able to produce the kind of righteousness it's gonna take to get into heaven. Like Isaiah would write that your righteousness on your own effort is like, a, like filthy rags before God. Putrid and, and just terrible looking. And how many of you can just be like, yeah, come on somebody, that's me. Like that, we, we look at that and we go, okay, I can't do this on my own. But what's been given to us by Jesus is these perfect, beautiful, blemish-free linens that we get to adorn ourselves with. So that when God sees us, what he sees is the righteousness of Christ. He sees the blemish-free garments of Christ that are clothing the people who have put their faith and their trust in him. That's how God sees us. If you have put your faith in him, that's how he looks at you is with the righteousness of Jesus. But then there's also an effort that happens. So then our, we, we are given this free gift of salvation, but then this process called sanctification, where we work out our salvation, where we make our, where we, where we, like press into all that Jesus has for us so that we may be transformed, so that we may be renewed to look more and more like him, is this now grace-driven effort on our end. So that Jesus isn't just looking for a church who's been saved. He's looking for a church who's been saved and is now putting that faith into work, into the world. And so we're making ourselves ready while embracing the free gift of salvation. It's a tension for sure. But what I, what I want to point out in in at the very early onset of this is why do we, why do we gather? Why do we do things to gather? I think I sat in church for so many years and I just in my mind had it backwards. You ever get that feeling like you miss church maybe once or twice, or, or maybe you haven't read your Bible since the last time we were in church and, and it was on the screen that you read your Bible. That was the last time you read scripture was from that screen. And and you go, man, okay, I know I need to read scripture more because I know that would just, that would, that would help God love me more. And maybe you would never articulate it that way, but you have this kind of burdensome feeling that like, if I don't get to church, if I don't spend time in prayer, if I don't spend time reading the word, if I don't spend time in worship, then like, I'm just not, I'm not doing it. And I'm not showing God my love for him enough. And maybe he doesn't love me the same way. And it's just, it's flipped thinking. So I wrote this down. Like we don't do Christian things to show Jesus our love for him. Like he's good. He, he looks at you and he loves you. God looks at you and he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Like he does not need to be reminded of his love for you. There, you, cannot, you cannot do things in this life to add to his love for you. So, so, but we don't do the Christian things, come to church, read our Bible, spend time in prayer to show Jesus our love for him. We do Christian things to be reminded of his love for us. That like that's, that fundamentally, that is why we are here. Not so that we can impress Jesus with the 52 times this year, God, thank you, notch on our spiritual belt. Like that's not what we're at 52 weeks in a year, if you weren't tracking with that. 
Like it's not us trying to put these notches in our spiritual belt to show God how much he means to us. It's literally us coming together so that we may be stirred up in our affections, so that we may, we may be stirred up by way of reminder, gathering with God's people, opening his word, singing songs of praise to him so that our hearts may be moved to be reminded of who he is. He, he, does not, he does not need to be reminded of, of our faithfulness to him. We need to be reminded of his faithfulness towards us. That like we're the ones who forget. He doesn't forget. He's not changing. We're the ones that are changing. We're the ones that have circumstances that are changing. We gather primarily so that we may encounter him. Like that's what this is. We're, we're here to encounter a living God through his word, through worship, through the gathering of the saints as we see and express the Holy Spirit moving through the giftedness that he's wired into each one of us. That's, that's primarily why we're here. And, and I want to take just a second to address two misconceptions that I think are, are prevalent right now um, around the gathering of believers. So I think there's one misconception from the public's perspective looking in at our gatherings. But then I think there's another one that I'm more concerned with that is, that is, a, that is a thinking that exists in the church and maybe even in our church. And so the first misconception around gathering is that um, and, and maybe you hear this, I'm sure you hear this in some sort of way, but gathering right now is just irresponsible. It's just irresponsible. Going into a room with other people right now is just an irresponsible thing to do. And, and I fought the temptation as I wrote this message out to really like kind of critique the science and look at all these different things and ask all these questions about where mandates and shutdowns are happening and what the results are there. And like, we could spend some time getting lost in the weeds on those. And I'll just completely admit to you, like I am, I am like one click away from being sold on any conspiracy theory that's on the internet right now. Like it just, I just can go there, but it's not, it's not fruitful to go there. What is fruitful as your pastor is to talk about, to make the assumption that gathering is irresponsible is to make the assumption that our physical health is the only aspect of our health that matters. So I want you to like feel this a little bit. Like we're, we're more than an immune system. You're more than just a body that can get sick or that could get broken. Like that, that's not all of who you are. We have mental health and emotional health as well. And, and gosh, those things, they're start, it's starting to be highlighted, I think, all the more how detrimental to our, our anxiousness, to our relationships, to our other emotions, and just our mental, like how we're thinking right now, like this, these shutdowns and all these different regulations and just the length of this pandemic and the, and the realness of a virus that is claiming lives is weighing on us and it's impacting our emotional and physical being. Not just like, I'm sorry, our mental and emotional well-being, not just our physical well-being, but primarily what I'm concerned with is our spiritual health. Like, so I'm not a doctor. I don't know if that's news to any of you. Like I'm, I'm a pastor. And so I'm primarily concerned with your spiritual health, but, but also I'm concerned with your spiritual health because your spiritual health is the only thing that's going to affect you for eternity. You're not going to get to heaven one day and Jesus is going to go, man, you really got that cholesterol problem under control. Way to go. Come on in. Incredible. Did you, did you see how many multivitamins this guy ate? Unbelievable. Come on in. Come on in. Yeah, you know what? Okay, all that behavior was a little rough, but the way that you never broke a bone, like just come on in here. Like that's just not what it's going to be. That's not what it's going to be. The only thing that's going to get you into heaven, the only thing that's going to impact your eternity is the, the spiritual answer of with what did you do with Jesus? 
And if you submit to him as Lord of your life, and if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. That's primarily talking about spiritual. It has other implications into physical, mental, emotional, but primarily what it did was it took your spiritual bank account and it credited you with his righteousness so that you could step into heaven. So, so, there's a, there's a nuanced point here that we cannot let the preservation of our physical health be detrimental to our spiritual health. And then as this, as if we're maybe, if we're on a drift, and that's a big if, okay, if we're on this drift towards kind of oppression where we're not allowed to gather, and, and I, I honestly, that's not what's in my heart. I don't believe that there's just like this oppressive force that wants to kill the church right now, except for in the devil, but that's always been there. So like, that's not going anywhere. I, I just, I think that, I think that what we're going to have to embrace here is that part of our church family has stayed home. Part of our church family has stayed home. And, and my encouragement, if, even if we go back to not having church again, because like, like I said, I don't, I don't know in prayer what God is going to reveal to me in the next few weeks. And I don't know what the next couple months are going to look like. And if we go back to church at home, we're going to have to be extra diligent to be nourishing our spiritual health because that's hard. It's hard in this season when you're stuck at home. I want you to be thinking for and praying for some of the people who haven't been back in yet, that they would nourish their spiritual health in a time like this because it's not more important than your physical health. So that's misconception number one, that gathering is completely irresponsible. The other one, and like I said, I'm more concerned with this one because I think it's one thing to talk about how the world feels about what we do in church. Because let's be honest, the world has always thought churchgoers are a little weird. Oh, I see. You don't think like speaking in tongues is weird. I don't, I, you don't think that like singing and lifting your hands is weird. You don't think about like all this stuff that we do sometimes on a Sunday morning is weird. It is. It looks weird to the church. And I'm cool with that because Peter calls us to be a peculiar people. Amen. Like we should do some things that stand out differently from the world we're living in. But I'm not so concerned with what the world is thinking out there uh, towards us. I'm much more concerned with what kind of thinking exists in here. And, and so uh, I, I get concerned that being a church that's open right now and being a church that is, it is pushing the gathering limits. Let's just say it that way. I think my, my biggest concern in doing that is that we're creating a culture of, of rebellion and a, we're allowing, and we're maybe promoting a culture of frustration, rebelling to the government over a culture of worship. So, like, I hope, I hope you get where I'm coming from here, that my, my biggest concern going forward is not that I would get arrested or that our staff would get arrested. I'm not concerned that, like, Good Shepherd's going to be slandered on the front page of the Reporter Herald. Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not wired that way. I'm not living fearfully in that way. I am concerned, though, that, that us gathering and us continuing to gather, what that's going to allow and what that's going to facilitate is a spirit of, like, Oh my gosh, these guys are, these guys are sticking it to the government. I want to go jump over there. And I've heard just enough conversation of like, oh, you guys are the church that's open. Oh, you guys are the church that's not making people wear masks the whole time. And I just, that's not what this is. This is not primarily a rebellious demonstration. This is primarily an act of worship. And it has to stay that way, church. We gather with the spirit of devotion to Jesus in a spirit, not in a spirit of rebellion or frustration with our government. Like that cannot be a misconception that we allow to continue as we gather. And listen, like uh, this convicted me first. Like, and I, I, ta I talked about it last week that, man, I have, I have friends, I have people in my life where, and I think it's real. I think we're all sort of sitting in this like, okay, where's the line that we're comfortable with the government telling us what to do, right? But when we get in here, we check that and we fix our eyes on the lamb. 
and we fix our eyes on Jesus and we come expectant and eager, reverent, awe-filled worship for who he is and what he's done. That is primarily why we're here. And that will, be, that will primarily be why we continue to be here. Amen? Amen? All right. So those are the two misconceptions. I want to jump in now like, to, to what we hope to accomplish while we're here. So if, we, if we're here in this gathering right now so that we might experience who Jesus is, that we might encounter him through his word, encounter him through worship, encounter him through his people, preparing ourselves as the bride of Christ for the day in which he's going to come back. If that's, if that's, the, if that's what we're doing when we're gathering, what is the goal when we gather? What is, like, what is this, what are we trying to accomplish? How do we know when we walk out the door if we hit it or not? So I want to walk through five different things that we're trying to accomplish on any given Sunday morning. And I want to just look at three different windows of scripture. And so the first one's going to be Hebrews chapter 10. And so you can open that up if you want to. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. We're going to start in verse 23. The author of Hebrews writes, um, let us, Oh, I'm sorry. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith, of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so there's this picture here in Hebrews that, yeah, we're like, we're not going to neglect the gathering as is the habit of some. And so even if we're doing church at home for a season, it's for a season. It's not a habit. It's not something we're going to be committed to. We're committed to eventually getting back to gathering. And the gathering is not just this place that we attend on Sunday morning. It's a family that we belong to. And so we don't just come to church, like watch the thing, then go about our week. Like we, we have to be involved with the people that exist in this church so that we may stir each other up for love and good works. Like that stirring of one another only happens in the context of relationship. If you try and stir somebody up that you don't know, they're going to be like, I don't know you. I don't care. You have to be in relationship with people. We have to be getting, like, I hope you know people here. And I hope if you're new that you're getting to know people here. Because this is, this is not a building that we attend. It's a family that we're a part of. We're a body with many different members and many different giftedness. And we have to be using all of that with one another so that we would be stirred up to love and to good works. The second thing that we're looking at is that we are coming to church to be equipped, not entertained. So this is, this is important. This is, I mean, we've preached on this so much as a church, but Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So, so there are these five kind of offices or these five kinds of gifts that are given to the church, not so that they can do the ministry of the church. Like this is pivotal. If you're gonna, if you're gonna be a part of this family that you get this. Like it is not my job to do the ministry of this church. It is our job collectively to minister in this community as this church, as this body. I, I'm, I'm given the task of opening this word and preaching the book to you best that I know how, but then all of us have been given ministry. Every single one of you has been given a ministry of reconciliation to go out into the world where you work, where you play, where you grocery shop, wherever it is that you are, and you're called to carry with you the, the kingdom of Jesus into every space. That is your ministry, whether it's at school, whether it's at work, whether you're 
two years old or 92 years old, it doesn't matter if you have breath in your lungs, you've been given ministry to carry out. And as we carry out that ministry and as we are equipped in the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or just to maturity is how you can read that if you're a lady to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. My goodness, is that passage, does it just feel like that is ramping up? Like there are so many, uh, I think it's what Timothy writes or what's in Timothy about these itching ears that just want to hear the teaching that they agree with. And there's this just, there can be bad teaching out there. There's bad teaching out there in churches, there are terrible podcasts to listen to that sound Christian, but they're not. And so together, as we're woven together life on life, what we're doing is we're building each other up so that we may endure the waves of life that continue to come. Like 2020 has been rough, but guess what? I don't want to be the Debbie Downer this morning. There will be more waves to come in the years to come. There will be more bad years. Like the wave, and I hope what happens in this moment is the church realizes that I I am a spiritual infant and I'm just getting tossed right now. I need to grow up. I need to grow up so that I can stand firm against this opposition. The opposition will come, but we need to come here with this mindset that I'm not here to be entertained. I'm not here so that they can just be funny today or they can take care of my kids well today or so that we can just sing the songs I like this morning. I'm here to be equipped. This is a training ground so that we might be built up so that we can stand mature and fight the things that we're gonna fight in the days to come. So that like another reason why we're here, what's the goal? We wanna be equipped. We don't wanna be entertained. The next one, as we keep going, is that we, we gather in devotion to Jesus, to fellowship through teaching, relationships, praise, and prayer. This is going to be found in Acts chapter 2. So in Acts chapter 2, what you have is you have the church catching the Holy Spirit. Catching the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is poured out on Pentecost. And then there's all this crazy stuff going on. Peter's trying to kind of do damage control and preach all these different sermons. And, and the Lord is adding like so many people to the following of Jesus. And, and what's awesome, I think, in this passage of scripture is we get a live look at what the early church was doing in those days. And it says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so there was this devotion in the early believers that they were, they were coming as devoted followers of Jesus, longing to be taught, longing to have this book opened up and, and explained to them. They were hungry for the word of God. They were, they were committed to fellowshipping with one another. It's just another picture of we, we cannot just simply exist in a church on a Sunday morning in a chair and then exist in a different chair the next Sunday morning. Like, that's not what this is. We're, we're a family that's woven together. There's a fellowship that happens between us. We should know what's going on in people's lives. Like, I should be able to look at some of you and identify, like, man, okay, I know some of the tragedies that have befallen some of these families. I know some of the exciting things that are going on in some of these people's lives. Like, because we're woven together as a family. There's fellowship here. And then we're committed also to, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Like, this early church, they didn't just meet in the temple. They met house to house. You see that coming in this verse where it was like they gathered big, but they also gathered small. 
That's why we're consistently emphasizing small groups, not as just this thing for you to do, but as this vehicle for you to arrive at a spot where you belong in a church, where you have like deep, intimate relationships with other people, where you can open up and be honest about the things that are going on, the things that are awesome, the things that are terrible. And you're going to be met with people that don't freak out and cut you out of their life, but they go, okay, how are we going to work through that? How can I be praying for you and your family? How can I call you when you need a call this week? And, and we get this like life on life thing happening where we're building each other up, stirring one another up for love and good works. Um, so we gather um, in devotion to Jesus. Like we're here because we are devoted to him, it, like longing to encounter and experience him. And again, that's happening in the early church through the teaching of the word of God, through the fellowship of the saints, through prayer, praying together and through getting in each other's lives by meeting house to house. So they, it keeps going to say an awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, pause for a sec, because what we're going to read, I, I think early on in my faith, I always thought this was like some form of Christian communism. Because it says, and, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Uh, but that, like, no one was forcing them to do this. It's not Christian communism, it's Christian compassion. They were moved with compassion. They were moved by the generosity of God towards them first to say, listen, I don't, I don't care what thing it is that you're talking about. If you have a need, I'll sell it and I'll give something to you that you need. And I just like to brag on you guys a little bit, maybe not to brag, that's like, you know, that's prideful or whatever. But I just, I think back as I was reading over this, I think back to early on in the pandemic when we really didn't know a ton of what was going to be happening. And it was like the March, April timeframe. And we got one call, one email more than we got anything else during that time. It was, how can I help somebody else? Like, it was just, it was just constant. They're like, Hey, I want to help. What do you need? What do you need help with? And, and I don't think there was a need that we knew about in our church body that went unmet. Like y'all shut up to help people move. You shut up and brought people dinners. You shut up and brought people cash. Like it just, it was this like beautiful picture. And what I want to show you is that like, that's not like on the church structure to create something like that. That just happened out of relationship with one another because we were involved in each other's lives. And I was able to call somebody and go, you need something. And then I was able to tell my friends and they would show up and help. Like it was just this beautiful give and take. And so there was this cultivating of generosity that happens in the early church's hearts where it's not just out of thin air, that, that generosity comes from God being first and foremost generous with you. That before you earned anything or before you deserved anything, before you had your act together, God was generous with you. And, and now we take that generosity that's been given to us and we don't, we don't look at the world out there and we go, well, you know, if you really, if you would have worked harder, you wouldn't have gotten yourself laid off. If you would have, if you would manage your finances better, you'd have a savings account right now. We don't, we don't look for the world to clean themselves up first. We just go, oh my gosh, is there a need that we can step into and meet? Because that's how God treated us first. And so we've cultivated this heart of generosity and that generosity is here and it's in you, but I just want to call it out all the more. So the early church is gathered to cultivate generosity. The last one is that they're gathered to see his kingdom grow. So as, as the church comes together and views the gathering correctly, 
as, as they meet and they have their eyes focused and their devotion fixed on Jesus, as the word is taught, as they're built up, not entertained, but equipped and matured, maturing and growing up, as they're finding themselves like cultivating this heart of generosity with the community around them, as they're devoted to prayer, devoted to worship, as these things are happening, what happens, what's observable is that the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. And I just, I think this is kind of a moment where we need to be critical of what American Christianity has looked like for a while. See, because have you ever played the card game War? If you haven't, it's really simple. Like whoever has the bigger card wins. And I play with my kids, you know, and they get really excited uh, when they have like most the deck. But little do they know, like I have a few aces. So I'm just going to slowly be like stealing most of the deck back, right? And, and so I think sometimes American church culture can look a lot like the game of war where, where we throw a couple cards down for children's ministry. You know, oh my gosh, Rez's children's ministry is awesome. Have you seen their children's ministry room? It is it, like, it's off the chain. It actually is. I'm being totally serious right now. Like Rez's children's ministry department is, is tricked out. It is wonderful. Wonderful. Um, we, we throw cards down like, oh, well, uh, what about you know, friendliness of the staff. Well, okay, that's got to go to Carl Sutter over at Foundations. That guy can remember every single person's name. I don't know how he does it. Like thousands of names that he remembers. That dude's, that dude's bar none one of the friendliest people on planet Earth. And then you flip another couple cards down. Well, what about location of the church? You know, isn't that important? Well, Matt Brown down at Redemption, uh, downtown, sweet location. Sweet. Who wouldn't want to be downtown, right? We throw another couple cards down. What about the just overall coolness of the pastor? Well, that's got to go to Aaron Stern up at Mill City. That dude, that dude is dripping with swag. He, for sure, I'm, I'm being totally honest right now. He's probably one of the coolest guys I know, loves the Lord with all of his heart, is awesome. And, and, and then we go, okay, well, what about, what about the worship that I like? Well, that's maybe at Vintage or City Point. What about this? And well, that's over at Grace Community. And I think all the while, what we've maybe done is we've just moved the cards around, but we haven't added anything to the deck. So like, I'm not saying that preferences can't shape where you go to church. I'm just saying eventually what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to plant yourself down so that you can grow. That's just what we have to come to grips with. And if we can view our thinking that way, and we don't get so caught up in just the shuffling of the deck of church growth in Northern Colorado, and we just see cards moving here, cards moving there, but we actually get serious about like, wait, aren't there other decks out there that we could build this thing up with? Like, I've just thought this for a while, and I can't remember if I've shared it or not, but I thought to myself for a long time, I, I've driven on Highway 34 on Friday afternoon. Have you all? Oh, that's insane. I never want to do that again in my whole entire life. And then I've driven to church on Sunday morning, and the traffic's not the same. I, I think if we really got serious about making church what it's supposed to be about. If we, if we, and listen, this isn't, this is, I'm not in competition with any other pastor in this community. Uh, we like, we pray for pastors every Sunday. We, we are serious about seeing the kingdom in Northern Colorado grow. I'm not, I'm not trying to take anyone from anything, but what I am saying is at this church right here, what we're going to be serious about is being serious about the Lord first, not entertainment, not just what's most comfortable, not what we just think will be the most fun for the year, not who will look the coolest this year. We want to be serious about the things of God that we may experience and share a growing relationship with Jesus every day. So what I just did was take the last 30 minutes to unpack our mission statement, basically. That when we gather as a church, our goal is to experience the living God. Experience 
Jesus who is actually involved in saving, pe saving people's lives right now. And, and it's not just enough to experience it one time. Like you can do that. I absolutely believe you can experience God authentically in one moment and go to heaven the next moment. But what we're called to is to be experiencing and growing in our relationship with Jesus every day. Now you might take a couple steps forward, a couple steps backward, but what we're doing is we are continually setting our course. He is the goal. He is the prize. We are going his direction. We're growing in him every day. Every day, that's what we're serious about. And it's not just enough for us to pursue that for our own benefit. Eventually what we have to see is we have to see this flip and that we get serious about seeing the world and we share a relationship with Jesus with somebody else. And it doesn't come from this hollow place of, well, I heard a cool story about Jesus one time. I've been really religious all my life, but it actually comes from this like burdensome, like, no, I've experienced the well of living water. I've experienced the bread of life who's sustaining me right now. And I just can't wait to share that with somebody around me. And maybe then what we would do is we'd actually start to add cards to the deck. Maybe then what we'd start to see is the traffic starting to match on Sunday morning what it does on Friday afternoon. I'm willing to live with it. I'm willing to live with it, taking a little extra time to get to church. If we got serious about this as the church in Colorado, in the United States, I really just don't think there'd be enough room in any church. Like news, if the traffic matched what it does on Friday afternoon, there would not be room, any room in any church to handle all the people coming to know the Lord. And so my hope in this morning is that maybe you identified a couple spots where you're like, ooh, I think my heart was off a little bit. I think I was starting to make this something different than what it really was. And I just wanted to stir us up by way of reminder that we are here to experience him. We're not primarily here in protest. We're not primarily here to show how faith-filled and fearless we are. We're primarily here to show that we are in desperate need of our savior and we wanna experience him daily. And in that, what I just hope we can continue to see in our church is this culture where we don't, we don't have a rebellious or frustrated spirit in us primarily, but what we primarily have in our hearts is genuine adoration and affection for Jesus. And so I want to take the last couple minutes and I, I want to kind of maybe transition off of this message a little bit, but I think it's important that we pray together. Coming off, looking at how the church was serious about prayer together. And so I really just felt on my heart this week, there's a lot of people that are in tough circumstances that I think we as a family, as a devoted like fellowship, a gathering of God's people, I think we need to spend some time praying for some people who are in need right now. And so I'm going to list off a few different areas. And if it applies to you, I just want you to stand up and we're going to pray for you. The first one, I think we need to pray for our healthcare community right now. So any, any, of, any of you gathered in here today, any of us that are in this room, if you are involved in healthcare, whether you're a nurse, whether you're environmental services, from any scope or cycle of, or like any area of healthcare, would you just stand up so that we could pray for you? Yeah, we have a few. Great, great. Yeah, so church, uh, I just want to just turn, face somebody, and, and let's pray for them. You can pray out loud, you can pray in your head, but let's pray. Yeah, God, I pray for Lauren, I pray for Ashley, I pray for... Jason, I pray for Aimee, for Pat. Pray for the young gal back here that I can't totally see, but I see that she is standing. God, I pray that you would just give them a sufficient grace for this upcoming season. God, they are in it right now. 
And I pray that you would pour out a grace that just gets them, doesn't just get them through so that they wouldn't be tired, but God, would you, would you help them see in this chaotic time the, the unique position they've been given to minister to people who are sick? And God, I pray that you would send them from here, fill them up with your strength, Jesus, as they go from this place. Thank you, Lord, for each of them. Thank you that we get to pray for them as a church body. I pray that we wouldn't forget their faces in the coming days, coming weeks, and we'd continually lift these people up in our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to take a moment. I want to pray for the elderly in our congregation, and you can decide if you fit into that category, okay? I ain't calling anybody elderly today. But I think we do have to really come to grips with the fact that there are several people that we haven't seen since March. And they're just as much a part of our family as they were then, as they are right now. And so I want to pray for them right now. And if, if, you, if you are experiencing just like, uh, just a rough loneliness right now, um, like you can go ahead and stand up and we'll pray for you too. But I just think about the, I think about some of the ladies and men who are just in their houses and that, that loneliness that has to be so heavy on them. And if it's not lonely, heavy on them right now, I just can't imagine what it's going to be like up in this upcoming holiday season. And so I want you to pray for them. But here's what I want you to do in this one also. As you're praying for the people who are lonely right now, especially the older people in our church who haven't been back, if a name comes to mind, if a face comes to mind, write that down and purpose to reach out to them this week. I think that's God speaking to you with the Holy Spirit, just going like, hey, call that person, call her, call him, write them a note. So let's pray for just a moment for some of the elderly in our community. If you are just struggling with loneliness right now, you can just be honest right now and stand up and we would love to pray for you as a family. Well, God, we do, I lift up Dottie Mommer. Lift up Joyce Rezac, Diane Klein, Ben and Marlene Lewis, Joyce Van Tress. God, we just lift up some of these people, even though the names that I'm not saying right now. Shirlene, God, we lift these people up and we just ask that you would uh, be present with them. Help take away the spirit of loneliness that's on them right now. Help, help us as a church family see opportunities where we can, we can be present for them in a safe way. God, I just pray that you'd keep them on our hearts, that we would continually be praying for them in this upcoming season that's sure to be difficult. Jesus, thank you for hearing our prayer. It's in your name we pray, amen. I think for, I wanna pray for anybody um, that's just going through um, just some kind of real anxiousness right now. I know we have small business owners that go, okay, if there's another shutdown, I don't know if we're gonna make it this time. I don't know if I'm gonna get laid off this time. Uh, I think of uh, students, I think there's a very real side for students in the room that are that are not going back to in-person learning. I've only heard from some of my friends, some teachers, that that is devastating and they're dealing with kids who are actually depressed, actually just very broken about this decision. So if that's, if that's you, if you are a student in this time, if you're someone who's got just some concern about what's gonna happen economically in the future because you're either a business owner or employee, would you just go ahead and stand up? Church, pray for him. Pray for him. Well, God, we pray for all of our people, maybe who even didn't stand up right now, that have 
some sense of anxiety in them, some sense of unease about what's going to come, with a, whether it's economically, whether it's because of school. God, I pray that you would just settle their hearts right now. Remind them who you are, that you are King Jesus sitting on your throne. And if you care for the sparrows, God, then how much more are you going to take care of them? Jesus, I pray that we would um, just continually be present as their, as their family. Would we be continually reminded of who we can pray for, how we can help, reflecting that generosity that you've first given to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church family, would you all just stand now as we pray? Lord, I pray that you would uh, just stir up each one of our hearts in this week to come, how we can really be the church. How can we be the church for the people in our church family? How can we be the church to the world? How can we be the hope of the world in this coming week? God, there's not one person in this room that you haven't sent somewhere on purpose, whether if, even if it's just a, a last minute Thanksgiving grocery run. You, ha- you are crossing people's paths. You are lining people up. You are ordaining conversations. You have placed us where we work. You've placed us in schools for a reason. And God, I pray that we would see our purpose in those places. God, would you help us frame this up correctly? Would we be so filled up with you coming into church, so filled up by the body that we can't help but go out and see ourselves as ministers in the world that we're living in? Jesus, we love you and we need you. We're desperate for you more and more every day. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.